0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Wisconsin Association for Gifted and Talented Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Jennerjohn, and today I have a very special guest. It is none other than Dr. Pam Klinkenbeard. She is a board member for WATG, and I'm very happy that she is joining us because she has a whole wealth of information that we are going to be talking about today. Uh, but first, I just want to bring her on and let her introduce herself. So Pam, uh, take it away. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay. Thanks, Corey. Um, I'm happy to be here today. I recently retired from the university of Wisconsin, whitewater, where I was an education professor for almost 25 years, uh, focused on gifted and talented, but I also taught a lot of educational psychology courses. I've been active in the National Association for Gifted Children for more decades than I care to reveal. And um, what else? Oh, I'm doing some uh, international stuff now. Like I'm the liaison to the European Council for High Ability. And there's also a World Council for uh, Gifted and Talented Children. And uh, I like to travel when travel is possible these days. Um, to some of those conferences and, and connect with people from other countries. It's kind of remarkable, really, the, the issues are often the same from country to country, despite the differences in politics. I grew up in Indiana. Um, I didn't have an advocacy background or formal training of any kind, uh, but I can talk a little more about that if you, if you want to get into deep history. Otherwise, we can stick with current current advocacy issues.
0: Yeah, we can hit on that in a second. Um, but first of all, um, the, you know, the big news, uh, surrounding the WATG Wisconsin and education is the legislation activity, uh, more specifically the, um, the gifted education account accountability bill. Uh, first of all, uh, Explain a little bit more what that is and um, uh, and why is that why is that coming about uh, right now?
1: Okay. Um, so for reference, the current bill on the assembly side is AB903 so you can actually look it up. The same bill with the same wording on the Senate side is SB860. So those are the numbers they're under right now. So the accountability bill came about because a number of us, we have, WayTag has what we call the Government Action Committee, formerly known as the Advocacy Committee. We are just sort of frustrated and hearing a lot of um, stories from people in districts where gifted education was just not happening. Kids are not being appropriately challenged. Um, we had someone who testified for the in writing for the Assembly Committee on Education who said that her daughter was basically being used in the classroom as a teacher's aide. Uh, she finished her work quickly and early, and so the teacher would ask her to help the other kids. Now, I think that's fine some of the time if the student wants to do that and if the student is more or less talented at doing it. Uh, But that should not be a replacement for appropriately challenging education. So um, we moved forward and contacted a couple of legislators uh, whom we knew were interested in gifted education. And one of them agreed to um, work with us to develop a bill and submit it. Uh, That would be Representative Petrick on the Assembly side and Senator Bernier on the Senate side.
0: Okay, uh, so when you talk about the the AB nine hundred three bill um, and how it's just all about accountability uh, and just making making everybody aware, um, what does that mean for the average school district or the average student uh, in Wisconsin?
1: Right. Well, mostly what it is um, would be. A long time ago, districts were required to report on what they did for gifted education. This was even before I came to Wisconsin. It's been mandated that we have gifted education identification and programming uh, since the mid eighties. But there was a reporting document that was cut out uh, as part of a paperwork reduction act many many years ago So districts that happen to be very interested in doing um, appropriate challenge for advanced learners, go ahead and do it. And a lot of the districts that are overwhelmed or underfunded or uh, that's just not one of their priorities, it just doesn't happen because there's no reporting requirement. So this particular bill increases the reporting that districts must do and it increases the reporting that DPI must do. So if it passes, the main effect of it would be to report more clearly on things that are already mandated.
0: Okay. So it's basically more or less just kind of keeping better tabs on, on everybody surrounding gifted and talented education. Is, is that fair?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, of course, we'd love it if there was a funding attached to it, but in the current political climate, that's just not going to happen. At least in this legislative session.
0: Why do you think? Why do you think, Pam? Why do you think in the past uh, it was there was such a problem with uh, reporting uh, accelerated education? Why, why do you think that was such an issue way back in the past?
1: Um, I don't think it was actually a problem. I think it just got caught up. Uh, there was reporting. There was an old form. I still have copies of it called the PI ninety three hundred. Uh, that was a reporting form that districts would fill out annually and send into DPI. And I think that just fell by the wayside as part of this General um, Paperwork Reduction Act.
0: Okay. All right. So, what does this mean going forward for um, for the gifted and talented kids? Um, What should they expect uh, from this, would you say, in the next 5, 10, uh, 15 years, do you think?
1: Well, right now, we're focused so much on the short term. Um, So just yesterday, this bill passed the Assembly Committee on Education. So we expect that it will go to the full assembly for a vote, uh, at which time we'd be asking people to write their um, state representative asking that person to support it. Down the road, if it passes and if it goes through and if it's signed by the governor, um, I think it will result in more consistent practices where people understand that they really do need to challenge kids at an appropriate level. Um, Another component of the bill that I think is really important is it requires reporting of student demographics. So one of the issues we've seen is that some districts are decreasing or diminishing their um, advanced programming uh, because they see it as an equity issue. And we think that's a mistake. And this bill would be helpful in that districts would have to say, "Okay, who's getting advanced programming? What are their demographic characteristics? And how can we all look forward to a more inclusive uh, vision of gifted education?
0: Okay. Yeah. I really like that. Uh, Especially talking to Lalitha and some other board members. Um, There's definitely an inclusion aspect with gifted and talented education that needs to be uh, spotlighted. And I I think that aspect is is really important and probably well overdue.
1: Yeah. And it's a big part of the national conversation in gifted education. So equity in the gifted is really like a serious and major topic, there have been whole conferences on it uh, over the past few years.
0: So how does this, so how does this uh, compare or contrast with, um, say, what the what you know New York City's decision to end gifted and talented education? So if there's you know to play dev's advocate, you know if there's a person that says why should Wisconsin do something like this when New York City decided to end their gifted and talented education? What you know what would be the argument there?
1: That's an interesting case. New York City gets uh, a lot of press. What they actually ended was um, the special schools, the special gifted schools, which are remarkable places. um, A lot of the entrance admissions requirements for some of those advanced learning opportunities in New York depended on a single test score for pre-kindergarten students or very young students, which is just crazy, basically. Uh, No one in the field would say that's good practice, that you should determine someone's schooling for the rest of their school career by a single test that they take when they're four or five. Um, So that, I think, has come under quite reasonable criticism. That particular case doesn't really translate to Wisconsin very much. Uh, in Wisconsin, we've had the services mandated, but because of local control, a great deal of this is very much up to individual districts as to how they implement uh, giving appropriate challenge to advanced learners. And we have we have a few individual gifted schools in the state, some private and one or two public, but by and large, um, it's a school district decision.
0: Okay, so even if, you know, even if this does go through, um, and even if AB nine hundred three does go through, um, it still is ultimately going to come down to each individual school district throughout the state. And there's a good chance that, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, school districts wherever they may be, whether they be, you know, urban, rural. Um, They could just say, you know, sorry, we're, you know, we're not going to put funding in into gifted and talented education. I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of frustrating.
1: That is a risk, but the bill also contains audit provisions such that if it passes, DPI would need to randomly audit 10% of school districts. I believe we said every year in that bill. I believe that's what it says. Um, So the danger is that if you're not doing what is legally mandated for the district to do, um, the audit would turn that up.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that, that would be a good thing. Um, Another, another thing, the WASB resolution, the Wisconsin association of school boards, they passed the advanced learning resolution uh, at its January conference. How impactful and how important was that resolution uh, for the state of Wisconsin uh, in terms of education?
1: I think it's really good uh, that they did that. And they, the process in a nutshell is that a single school board can propose a resolution that they would like the, the WASB Delegate Assembly to vote on in January. And that's what happened here. Um, the WASB Policy Committee looks at the proposed resolutions, rewords them a bit, um, moves forward the ones they think should be voted on. And the final version of the WASP resolution is really nice. It talks about, it's an amendment of one that they did in 2019 that just said, essentially, we think there ought to be more funding for gifted education, which, of course, Waytag agrees with. Um, Three years later, the new resolution says a bit more about how or what that might look like. So there's more language about meeting unmet needs of uh, advanced learners and making sure that everyone uh, has an opportunity to reach their full potential, no matter what their background. Okay. So the implications for it or the impact of it, I, it's really a nice policy statement by WASB, and it gives some guidance to school, not school districts Generally, but school boards specifically, who might be interested in adopting or looking at their own district policies uh, to see if they're in line with that, or if they want to be in line with that.
0: Okay, so Pam, like when organiz- you know, when advocacy organizations like us or any other uh, education organization um, advocates for gifted education and talks about more funds to fund gifted and gifted and talented education and is met by a lot of roadblocks. What, what are, what are, you know, what are the top things that people say when, uh, when, when they say that, you know, you know, we don't have money for gifted and talented education. I was just wondering what the, what the reasonings are for, for, uh, for, for having no money.
1: Um, the main reason I hear from districts, uh who might say, well, we can't really afford to devote any resources to this, is the um, situation in Wisconsin with special education funding. So um, I am not an expert in school finance. I have tried to understand it at least uh, at an amateur level for a long time. Um, so districts will say that we're spending so much of our local resources trying to make up that gap in special education funding. We really don't have anything to devote to gifted education, um, which I understand, but it is still mandated. And if you believe that every child deserves to learn something new every day, then it's really an important part of every school district's mission. Um, There are low-cost activities that can be implemented, anything related to personalized learning, anything related to acceleration. Those don't necessarily require lots of materials or extra personnel. So we are definitely looking at uh, issues related to acceleration. And we don't have a specific gifted education model in Wisconsin, like at the the DPI level, but what we have is advanced learners are included in RTI systems. So whether a district calls it RTI or multi-level services, uh, MLSS, MTSS, that type of model uh, is supposed to include advanced learners as well as students who have learning challenges.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So what So what does all this mean uh, moving forward then, Pam? Uh, You mentioned uh, we have our eye on the short term, uh, but what's next uh, uh, legislation wise uh, coming down the road?
1: We're considering uh, an acceleration bill, but right now we're really focused on on whether this bill passes. Um, If it does pass, I think we'll move forward with looking at do we have enough acceleration policy in the state? and we hope to pursue better funding for gifted education in the next funding cycle. Uh, it's going to be a, a big lift. Um, but obviously, you know, we have a little over $400,000 a year in Wisconsin compared to some of our neighboring state with states with multiple millions. So we're looking at improving the financial state of gifted education. There are things that can be done aside from that. So like what I said earlier, the low-cost alternatives, um, but we'll be partnering with other organizations to see what can be done to uh, to improve the comprehensiveness and the transparency of advanced learning for kids.
0: Okay, that just blows my mind. You you know, one the first time I heard that four hundred thousand dollar figure like that, and compared and contrasted with other states that surround us, Iowa's number is pretty large. And there's other some other states that are pretty large. It just blows my mind only because of the fact that, you know, Wisconsin has such a strong tradition of education and you'd think that they'd want to spend more resources, more money and have a higher prioritization of uh, gifted and talented. But it's it's kind of surprising that it's not like that way. Do you feel the same way, Pam, or
1: yeah, at one time, Wisconsin was a national leader in gifted education, but this is very long time ago. This was in the 70s. Um, University of Wisconsin-Madison had several people who were nationally and internationally known in gifted education. Um, And over the years, as people retired and left, those positions were not replaced with people who specialized in that area. Um, So that might be part of the reason. Um, I should point out Of the states, only about half of the states fund gifted education, at least as a separate item in their state budgets. Uh, We are at the bottom of the states that do actually fund. So we're somewhere right in the middle in terms of financial resources devoted to gifted education. Um, We did get the grant fund. These are for the DPI grants, the four hundred dollars $1,000. Uh, we were at two hundred thirty-seven thousand in the previous cycle, and um, Senator Bernier helped double that money. So the small grants that come from DPI, uh, that money has at least doubled. But that's all there is labeled as gifted education money in Wisconsin.
0: I wonder if there's ever going to be, uh, if you know, especially when it comes to the local school district level. Pam, I wonder if, you know, school districts, you know, gifted and talented programs are going to have to come up with, you know, funding of their own, you know, if they want to make sure that they have a viable gifted and talented program. I I wonder if they're going to have to do some sort of funding. Like, uh, will we see, I don't know, hypothetically, a fruit sale or a pizza sale to fund gifted and talented education? Is that out of the realm of possibility?
1: Well, I hope we don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah it, it really should be a core component of a school district's mission and vision to challenge everyone, not just students who are having trouble, but students who finish early or who are working several uh, years ahead of their of their classroom peers. It personalized education would be ideal, but in some cases, I think that does take uh, additional resources. so you know, bake sales and fruit sales and things, uh, I have nothing against them, but I don't think that should be the dominant way of funding challenging education.
0: No, I agree, I agree 100%. Well, um, Pam, I agree, and I thank you for all the work that you've done on this. Um, you and all of the members of the Waytay Government Action Committee have done excellent work uh, with throughout this whole process. And seeing it through, and like you said, there's still there's still you know more work to do. So, uh, really appreciate you you know sitting down, chatting, and just kind of giving us a a quick overview, a lay of the land of of where we are and where we could potentially be. Uh, but but if I'm you know if I'm a gifted and talented kid in this you know in the state of Wisconsin, I have to feel I have to feel somewhat happy, right? I mean, there's there's definitely you know, there's definitely something to be happy about, I, I would say, right?
1: Yeah, even if this bill doesn't go through, it has definitely raised the visibility of gifted education in the state and in the state legislature. Um, I, because I hate to give up the chance to plug this, I want to remind everyone to find out who their state assembly person, their state representative is, and who their state senator is. And we have a lot of resources on the WayTag site. Um, You can go to the state legislature homepage and just enter your home address and see who your uh, particular representatives are. The reason to do that is it's not so much that we need to reach every single legislator. We need to have personal relationships with some educators who are most focused on moving education forward in the state. And it, it's amazing how how few contacts can actually make a difference. Some of the legislative staffers we've been working with will say, you know, if we get three calls on something, um, the representative will pay greater attention to it because not that many people contact their legislators. It's it's not that hard.
0: That's a really great point. And, and the website there uh, that Pam was mentioning is uh, watg.org. Uh, just go there. There's a there's a wealth of information uh, with uh, legislators' uh, contact information. Uh, you can go there, um, pick up the phone. You can send an email. Um, there, uh, there's a there's a lot of different ways that you can communicate with mm-hmm. with legislators. And like I, I agree 100 percent with what Pam was saying. Um, they do want to be contacted. They do want to they they want to they want to know what uh, everyone is thinking. What everybody what everybody wants. Remember, they are your. Legislator, uh, so the best way to do that is by contacting them and letting them know. So I think that's um, that's great advice. Okay, um, for uh, Doctor Pam Clinkenbeard, Doctor Pam Clinkenbeard, I am Corey Jennerjohn. Thanks again for listening to the WATG podcast, uh, Pam. Once again, thanks a lot for uh, for hopping on and uh, and giving all of your information. And thanks a lot for. Uh, all of your hard work through this entire process. And as we uh, continue to watch and see it through, really, really much appreciated.
1: Well, thank you, Corey. And thank you for doing these podcasts for Waytag. It's really a, a nice feature, I think, of the organization.
0: Well, you're very welcome.